CFB Paint, we are back again. You got the three Musketeers, Steve, Brian, Corey. We're missing D'Artagnan tonight. Also, like, did you guys notice in the Three Musketeers, never once does any of them actually brandish, brandish a musket? They always use swords. I digress. Anyway, we're here tonight. We are talking college football's biggest underachievers, biggest overachievers. But before we jump into that, Nick Saban had some comments with regards to how playoff participants are selected. Brian had a little bit of, a, of an opinion on that. Brian, hit us up. Let us know what we need to know. Yeah, when when Nick Ta Nick Saban talks, it, it goes loud through the college football community because he is the greatest coach of all time and uh, has done so much. But he had an interview with Joel Klatt where he said some things that I think are just uh, a little bit whiny and a little bit <laughs> a little bit self serving. Um, last year, after the season had played out, he kind of went on his Alabama should be in the playoff regardless of people not having us in there and us not making it to SEC championship game. Uh, his little uh, tour to to try and you know get the press on his side, get the people on his side, and he kind of echoed a little bit with that uh, in this this interview. Uh, Joel Klatt, I don't even think he directly asked about the playoff, but he was asking about uh, the SEC and playing you know so many tough teams in the conference. Um, and Saban took the opportunity that he had to say, "Hey, we we found out from you know basically Vegas would have favored us against three of the teams that were in the playoffs." So. Is, is this playoff selection really going the way it should? Are we getting the best teams in there? Um, and that just drives me up the wall because the playoff has never been about getting all the top four teams, the best four teams. It's about getting the teams that have earned the right to be in the playoff to play for a national championship. I don't care if you're one of the best four teams if you haven't earned it. Like, you didn't beat LSU. You didn't beat Tennessee. You don't get to go to the playoff. Like, I think that's a very fair thing. Those teams also didn't get to go. So uh, it, to me, it just drove me up the wall. It's like, it's not about who's favored. It's about who's earned it. Because guess what? On any given day, we would expect Michigan to beat TCU. But TCU earned the right to play in the national title because they beat Michigan on the day you that it was actually played. So to me, like it's just such a, a poor argument for what should happen, saying it's who's favored. Um, that's the person who deserves it. No, why did we play the games then? We, we should just crown the national title to whoever Vegas says is favored to, to win among all teams. Um, so anyways, that just drove me a little up the wall. I, I know he's preparing for the SEC to have Oklahoma and Texas in the conference, and they're going to want to get as many SEC teams, SEC, SEC teams as possible in the playoff together. But guess what? If you're not good enough to beat the other SEC teams, I don't care. You don't, you know, it's going to be, this is part of the reason I think these mega conferences is not a great idea in terms of, the grand scheme of college football. You know, it's a great way to figure it out. If we take the best team from this region, this region, and this region, the teams that came out on top, and those teams decide which one was the best because they didn't play a whole lot. That makes a lot more sense than saying, oh, this team lost to Tennessee and lost to LSU. Uh, you know, Georgia's the SEC champ, but still we should put Alabama in. Uh, make no mistake. I think Alabama's going to make a lot of the playoffs going forward. 12 teams is a big playoff. Um, but just the criteria that he's going for there is so ridiculous to me because why are you playing the games if, if you're going on who people would favor to win doesn't matter if somebody has a cinderella season for a full season they do it and and that's great and they get to have a title or they get to make it like tcu to the national championship and get their doors blown in and we get you know, to see them exposed but they've earned the right to be there and i think the idea of you know giving it to somebody because we favor them instead of saying who's earned it on the field uh is a it's a big deal Yeah, Brian, just heads up. You, you may have clicked out a little bit on us there. Hopefully we're able to capture all of that. But um, just to kind of piggyback off your point, I, I love going back to the Urban Meyer, the debate when Florida was potentially going to get into the national championship versus Ohio State. But prior to that, Ohio State and Michigan play number one versus number two, that final game in, in the month of November. And after that game's over, again, Ohio State wins by a pretty narrow margin. And there was the debate about should they have a rematch in the BCS National Championship. And Urban Meyer's quote was, they had their chance. And, and that, to me, never fails, right? That, that, that to me, like, man, I had their chance. You, you mentioned it twice. So uh, the other thing I go back to with Nick Saban and his comments on, like, is this what we want the sport to be? 
they're always self-serving. They always have been when he brings up those kinds of things. Uh, he mentioned about Texas A&M buying a, a recruiting class, and then the next next cycle they signed the best historic class ever. They won up that class. I think I think Bama probably bought that one too. That's that's my sneaking suspicion. Uh, not only that, but go back to when he talked about up tempo offenses and how it was a, a player safety risk. Well, he he hit that one. He stood on that moral high ground for a really long time. And then what did he do? Oh, he started implementing a bunch of up tempo schemes when he brought in Lane Kiffin, when he brought in Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, so he didn't either. He didn't care about player safety, uh, and he, that was a, a ruse, which that that's what it was. But or he cared about it and then decided winning was more important. So Nick Saban, I'll let you choose which. I'll let you choose which one it is. Either you're you're a liar or you're someone who just doesn't care about player safety, uh, or or did and then decided winning was more important. So uh, th- those are my, that's my take on it. Kind of similar vein as you, Bry. Corey. Yeah, I mean he's Mitt Romney of 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 the football world, right? <laughs> like. I get it. You can learn. You can change your opinion and stuff like that. But he he's going to argue whatever's convenient for him, and that's we've seen that to be the case 100. percent And when it's not his fault, it's or when it's not his fault, quote unquote, it's not his fault. I mean, whatever. Yeah, I, I think we've said our piece on that. We all we all know what the deal is with Nick Saban. He's he's the best of the best of the bunch. So I think he gets a lot of the benefit of the doubt. But we'll hold his feet to the fire here. Anyway wanted to get into the meat of our uh, of our main topic tonight we've got college football's programs uh, that have the, those that have overachieved the most that done the most with the least uh, which ones have done the least with the most so those that have lots of resources but before we get into the actual reveal I want to take uh, our, our listeners kind of through our process so uh, earlier I texted both of both Brian and Corey and said give me your top five under and overachievers uh, and I didn't give them any criteria. I just that was it. Like teams that overachieve or underachieve, give me your top five. And so I, I've compiled those lists of five for each of us, and we've kind of stack ranked them such that if a first place vote garners five points or five, it has the value of five. A second place vote has the value of four. Three has three. Um, for a, a fourth place vote, that would have the value of two, and then a fifth place has the value of one. I've tabulated that, compiled it for both the overachievers and underachievers, and we have the CFB Paint consensus over and underachievers lists. Um, we'll go through them in just a minute, but before we go through like individual teams and talk through the actual poll, I wanted to give the 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 two Brian Corey explain kind of your criteria because I left it open ended and I did so on purpose. What what in your mind constitutes an overachiever and what in your mind constitutes an underachiever? We'll start with Corey first and then we'll get to Brian. Yeah. So overachieving, I took into account a few different things like um, being in a less talent rich area or, or being able to recruit less. Um, Granted that's part of the job, but having less, having less talented players, if you're able to do more with those, if you have a smaller school and you're able to do more, or if you are in not a talent rich area and you've been done pretty successful, um, granted, I didn't give them enough credit for like recruiting is a hundred percent part of your job as a head coach nowadays, a hundred percent. Like, um, we all get that, that wins and national titles come from that blue chip ratio. Um, that Bud Elliott so famously is, a uh, kind of made, made famous among, among the football world, but I didn't take into account as much. I also considered like your history, like, do you have a history of winning or, or are you newer on the scene? And now all of a sudden you're winning. And so that's kind of what I've included on my more with less. Yeah, I I, I have a kind of a, a recent outlook on it. So one thing is like I kind of looked at like 10 to 15 years. So I'm not looking at did you do a, like incredible things in the early 2000s, in the 90s, in the 80s, um, kind of looking at who's doing more with less now or less with more. Um, and I say specifically more with less or less with more. So you'll find for my list, like there are certain teams you're just not that like eligible to be on the underachievers, if you're a, you know, I'm trying to think of a team who's give an example, a, yeah. a UConn, a Colorado, um, you know, that there's teams that kind of, you don't expect anything from. And so I'm not going to dock you, maybe you underachieved, like had a lower win percentage uh, against the spread or something, but I don't care. Cause I didn't think you anything of you to begin with. Um, so I'm looking at specifically, um, I, I guess what things that I looked at a lot were, 
what kind of recruiting rankings do you get? Are you constantly pulling in top 25 classes, but not finishing in the top 25? Because um, year over year, those tend to carry over that, you know, the, if you have the talent, you should be uh, performing better. And if you don't have the talent, you should be performing worse. So look at who has worse talent coming in. Um, and like Corey said, that, you know, that doesn't factor in the fact that they should be recruiting better at certain places, you know, that that's fully part of a coach's job, but who does I, I, one of the less is more is who, or more with less is who does more with less talent. Um, and then also with less, uh, pull, you know, for some of my overachievers, I go, okay, you're in a very talent rich area. You have great access to these things. I know you're a well-funded school, so you shouldn't have any issues with that. I know you're an attractive job, so you shouldn't have an issue pulling in a good coach. Um, and so that, those are some of the things I looked at. So recent history, 10 to 15 years, looked at, are you doing well despite uh, having not high quality recruits, or at least at the time, what people, we thought were high quality recruits come in? Uh, and then some of the external factors of uh, you know money and, and the prestige of your program to, to actually draw talent in. Got it, yeah. Uh, I kind of, yeah, similar, I, there's a, a few pieces of criteria I looked at. One was, yeah, proximity to talent. Uh, two, the big one that I, I don't, I'm not sure I heard explicitly mentioned in the two of you, but I think it was baked in there is like resources. Do you have an alumni base that donates? Do you have brand recognition? Um, so for example, like for me, you talked about some that were ineligible. Like to me, there's, there's some tweener schools. I'll, I'll give you one example. Like Oregon to me is very distant from local high school talent, but they do have insane brand recognition and a big time booster in Phil Knight who backs that. That the you know the the very close relationship with Nike to me is a plus on their side. So they're they're a tweener. They they really couldn't make either list for me because I don't think that they have so much that they could be considered for the doing less with more. Uh, and that I again I don't think they have enough you know limitations on their program to be considered to be doing more with less. So that's one example of me. But yeah, proximity to talent resources in terms of alumni base donors. Uh, uh, you know, like you said, prestige of the program. But those are some things I considered. And, and that, that kind of was the same flip side of the coin. Are there some unsung programs that still manage to produce winning season after winning season, despite maybe some of those things not working in their favor? And so without any further ado, um, we'll go ahead and release this poll. Give me just a second to share my screen. I need to pull it up into presentation mode as well. Um, so give me just a second here. All right. And I will share and I, I wish I could do it. So it like steps. So it shows like each one and we could talk about them individually, but we, we aren't going to be able to pull that off. Um, but let me share this. Here we go. Here's our overachievers poll. We're going to talk overachievers first because we talk about winners uh, and, and these are the ones that really kind of deserve priority. This was really interesting. So for those listening on podcast, I'll read off the whole poll first, and then we'll kind of dissect it. But we actually have a tie at the top uh, with Utah and Wisconsin tying for first place. Now, again, I, I kind of described how the scoring worked. Essentially, again, since there's three of us voting and, and a first place vote is worth five points, the highest any team could get is 15 total points, right? So that should give you a sense of like, you know, 15 being the very most, we all agree that that's the most overachieving program. Uh, Utah was first with seven, uh, and, and again, tied with Wisconsin, who also received seven points. U Wisconsin, interestingly enough, did not get a first place vote, whereas Utah did. Air Force got a first place vote, and Boise State got a first place vote. So Air Force and Boise State tied at, at what we're calling third, because there's a tie in, at first. So both of them are tied for third. I don't know if you guys have seen like how they do that with like you know, golf rankings and whatnot. So that's what we're doing here. And then finally, TCU with a, a total of four. Now, others receiving votes, you had Wake Forest with three, BYU with three, UCF with two, Iowa with two, Baylor with one, Oklahoma State with one. I know you guys are seeing this for the first time. I actually compiled this a little bit earlier. So I would love to get your responses. Corey, let's see what, let's hear what you think. Um, and then we'll go to Brian next. Well, I have Utah as number one and Wisconsin as number two as my two teams that are underachieving and, or sorry, overachieving, uh, doing more with less. So I'm not surprised to see those teams. Air Force, uh, I'm I'm a little surprised to see that one. I'm I'm, you got they got a first place vote. I do get that they have the military school and they're trying to do the best they can. Boise State, um, the reason I don't have them is just 
I didn't have them. I actually have them as one of my honorable mention teams. Um, but the reason I didn't have them up there in my top five is just because we've come to expect them. They have the brand recognition. It's not necessarily uh, almost doing more or less, and they've had the coaching. Now, whether the coaching can stay up to par, we'll see now that they've got new co- coaches out of there and Chris Peterson and all those people are gone. For, for, they've been gone for a few little while. We'll see where Boise State lands. Um, but if anybody's crashed as Cinderella, I mean, we got to give it to Boise State. And then TCU, uh, maybe some recency bias on that one, to be honest. Like, I get that, like, you, we were talking about, like, you can look back in the day and they were pretty good, too, when they had uh, – who was the coach that's now the D.C. Uh, for Texas? Gary, Gary Patterson. Patterson. Yeah, when they had Gary Patterson, they were pretty good and stuff Gary like that Patterson. for a little while. But um, you're in Texas. The, the talent's there. So I got – you. I mean, unless you're winning championship titles, even if you're winning championship titles and living in Texas, I don't see you as overachieving. That's why I don't have – a Florida team here. That's why I don't have a California team here. Like you, you have the talent and the opportunities to win there. So I'm a little surprised about those. Um, yeah. Wait, maybe, have... maybe we pause for a minute and let people defend why they voted certain ways. <laughs> I, do you so, want me to keep going? <laughs> uh, you, you can, you right. can go off, but I figured, yeah, air force was interesting because Brian was the only one who had them in his poll and he has them at number one overall. So, uh, Brian, Feel free to, to, to kind of give your take on Air Force. Yeah, I think it's a really easy one. one, if I'm being honest. Like, you, you <laughs> can't recruit like other schools. You you, ha- you have your hands tied behind your back. You're in a conference. You're not doing the independent thing where you can handpick stuff. Um, and you've won 10 games in five of the last 10 seasons. You don't have big offensive or defensive lines. You can't have them. There there are <laughs> requirements when you're in the in the armed forces. So it's, it's a different ball game entirely, but they consistently have, you know, 10, nine, eight win seasons, despite all of that. Um, you know, you've seen uh, Navy had a, a, a time where they were pushing up, getting in that 10 win range, but it's been a little bit since that was the case. Army hasn't been good for a while. Um, so, or at least no sustained sustained success for a while. Air Force doesn't have that issue. I don't know what they're doing so different or, or what's uh, the clever thing there. But I, to me, this is like the school that has uh, among the very least to work with and consistently you're winning around eight, nine, 10 games. Yeah. That's, a, that's really impressive. I'd kill for that for, for my program. You know, it's like, I've got nothing to go on and we're still able to get, and I get like, yes, the recruits kind of recruit themselves. So there's not much that they're doing, but schematically you got to win on, on Saturdays and that's what they've been doing. So to, to me, yeah, that was I, kind of an easy pick. My, my, my only qualm with them is the quality of talent that they play against, um, you know, and that would be why I would not necessarily keep, put them in my polls. I agree that they have done well. I mean, they, for what they've done, but you put them in a, a major bowl. I don't expect them to, to beat any of the power five, generally speaking. Um, no, and I, I think that's fair, but I think that's often the case with Boise state. You know, it wasn't in the mid two thousands. It probably is now. By the way, well, well, well said, Bri, that was a pretty impressive defense for, <laughs> For a, a pick that to me was just like, oh, I, I guess, kind of, maybe. Um, I'm going to address a couple of the others that Corey had issues with because they were mine. And, and part of this is like, number one, it, it is kind of a, a flaw of the system where we only have three people and we're only voting five deep um, because you're going to get some outliers here. So TCU, the reason they're there is because I had them at number two. Uh, but in my defense, like TCU, yeah, they have access to the talent, but they are also have, you know, not even like, you're not even trying to choose second. You're trying to choose third, maybe even fourth, because in that talent-rich state, Texas, Texas A&M, and then Oklahoma are, are going to get the lion's share of the major recruits. Um, and TCU's consistently done this back from, you know, they were in Conference USA and, you know, found LaDainian Tomlinson. Then when they get to the Mountain West, they, they take over that conference and they've just continuously ascended the the latter in terms of uh, program prestige uh but that doesn't mean that they have all the resources they have proximity to talent i don't think they have the greatest donor base like even in their own city like i think smu on from the nil space smu is going to be slightly more competitive than tcu um, and, and steve i i like i like your reasoning there with tcu and it's the exact same reason i kind of included ucf within my list is they've gone from conference to conference to conference moving up, taking on wins and taking on challenges. They don't have a huge alumni base. Although this is a, the b- second biggest school in the nation starting to flex his muscle. And 
that's that's a pretty scary thought to me in my opinion so yeah yeah ucf is 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 a growing giant without without question um my last argument for tcu is they did beat wisconsin in a rose bowl so they overachieved on an overachiever i'm gonna leave it at that bry give us your response to Oh, sure. He shuts it down and doesn't matter for rebuttal. <laughs> no rebuttal. No rebuttal. <laughs> if, if, if you have something, Corey, feel free to no, go. No, I have that. I'm fine. <laughs> so right, what do you think? Yeah, so number one, I'm I'm surprised you didn't have Utah in your votes. Uh, or if you did, we might have the total off. Utah was my number two. Um, so we might have our, our total points off. But nonetheless, they, they remain ranked number one here. Um, but that... Initially, when I was looking at this, like a lot of uh, what I'd look to is like, or I, I found myself gravitating towards when I was first cur- curating the list is like coaches who've been there a super long time. So Oklahoma State wasn't on my list, but they're on my honorable mentions because it's like, yeah, Mike Gundy's been little brother in there for a long time, but he hasn't had a losing season since 2005, like pretty consistently brings them back to relevance. Um, uh, and, and I found that over and over with Kyle Winningham at Utah, where it's like, yeah, they were really good when they were in the mountain West and then uh, they joined the PAC 12 and they're still really good. Like they, their records are relatively the same uh, from the last few years in the mountain West to the first several in uh, the PAC 12. And they're, you know, two time reigning champs, not that reigning champs is really a thing in college sports because the teams turn over so much, but um, you know, got the best of USC last year. Um, TCU was one that I was conflicted on. I, I went away from it. I actually have Baylor on my list. So that one vote from Baylor is for me. And it, it's a tough one um, because one, you look at the uh, terrible things that happened at Baylor, like kind of what made them rise because they were historically nothing before Art Bryles. Um, and then he has some excellent seasons. And then we find out, oh, some terrible things have been going on there. Um, and they have some sanctions put on them. But underneath the last two head coach or I guess, yeah, he had, well, the one year with Jim Grobe where they were, I think they were seven and six, but then um, Matt Rule comes in and boom, we've got ourselves an 11 win season. I think they make it to a title game. They don't win it. Uh, Aranda comes in, not last year, but the year before they're winning the title. It's just impressive to me because it's like, I consider them like very bottom of the barrel in terms of Texas teams, in terms of inability to acquire talent. Um, You talk about TCU there's Texas, there's Texas A&M, there's Texas Tech, and then SMU and Houston, I think, have done uh, decent relative to to Baylor. Um, but still, they are one of the more competitive teams in the, uh, in the did I say Big Ten? Big 12. Uh, and they've won, what, three, three conference titles in the last 10 years, um, which is a far cry from, you know, the Texases who people expect to be um, really doing big things here. So... That was my my call for them. I, I'm not surprised that they didn't get any other votes from anyone else. Um, BYU at number three, I'm intrigued by because I, I think that's been a little bit of a roller coaster. Uh, but uh, I, I'd love to hear kind of the case for that. Wake Forest is one that I considered as well. Now I think that's a, a, a good shot. I really like that's what Dave Boston still points, doing. Not number three. Let's make that clear. Right, 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 right. Three points in the yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I had BYU on on my list and. Honestly, I agree with you. It's a roller coaster, but they play team, good teams well, and they play bad teams poorly. And so it's, never, it's a team that you're never going to know whether you can win against. I mean, in reality, they should have never gone to Tennessee and beat them. And so that's partially why I had them on my list. Um, two, two teams I want to talk about. Um, I want to address the Wake Forest, and then I want to talk about some other honorable mentions that I had that I was thinking about. Wake Forest I have on my list. Um, they're currently on a seven-year bowl streak. They've gone to, like, 13 bowls in the last, like, I, what was it like? I, I didn't do the math, but it's like twenty years. It's it's unreal. Like this is a team that's kind of come out of nowhere and decided they're going to play football. And I don't know what the attendance in that school is, but it's like thirteen, fourteen thousand. It's not much. No, it's um, like a high school. It's smaller than that. Yeah, and you're and you're having to do. Yeah, actually, I had. Yeah, it might be actually like fourteen hundred. I might be wrong on that. I don't know. It's. I'll look it up. But um, like just the fact that they've been able to compete them with themselves when you do have Duke, NC State. You have North Carolina, all in that area, and then you have Wake Forest, and they just develop their talent. Two teams I, or I had on my honorable mentions as well. I had Iowa. Um, you guys had some points on for Iowa. I had Iowa as an honorable mention. Um, I, the only reason I didn't put it on there is because they are the big school in their state. Um, I think kind of higher than Iowa State, 
But one of the other teams I had as honorable mention uh, that I was considering is Auburn. Now, I get Auburn's in the SEC, but how many other schools – like, if you look at, across the entire country, you normally have a big school and then you have a small school that's, like, okay. I think Florida might be the only exception where you have Florida, Florida State, and Miami, depending on the years. I mean, you have to go to, back to the 2000s to get Miami and, and, and then the 1990s. But but you, you have Florida and Florida State who both won – I mean, they've won six titles since what? Since 1990, between the two of them. And then they play for, like, I think it's close to 10 between the two of them in, in, in that time span. So in, in the time span of 30 years, you've had 10 opportunities. But Auburn is the only other school I can think of in – across the country that is a second tier school that has played for the title that has won titles recently. They played for the title two twice in the last 10 years, 13 years, and then won once in the last 13 years as well. So, I mean, you got to give them credit where credit's due. I think, I mean, I can't think of anybody else like Michigan state maybe is a second tier school. That, that would be good. Yeah. That's an uh, interesting point. Uh, Corey, that, that you bring up there. Cause uh you know that, that that is that's an awesome perspective where you, you kind of point out like look in even the major talent rich areas of the country there's usually like kind of one dominant team like think Ohio it's just Ohio State Michigan sorry Michigan State Spartan fans it's primarily the Wolverines uh you know e- even in in Southern California like USC if you compare USC UCLA like it's really not a big comparison when looking at the last. 30 years or so, you know, you get further back and UCLA has some, has some tradition, but, um, so that, that one's an interesting one. Um, and, and yeah, there's, there's a, quite a few of these that I had like kind of on my honorable mentions that the others brought up. The one that I looked over is Baylor. Um, Baylor has done a lot of things. And again, you know, there's some questionable ethics when you look at some of the things they were doing and during some of the more successful stretches that they've had, but, uh, Dave Aranda has has brought the program around. Obviously, they had a little bit of you know of a, for lack of a better term, kind of a, a sophomore slump this last year, following up what was a really strong season in his second season. I guess it shouldn't be considered a sophomore slump, but um, so yeah, just just really interesting to kind of see how people look. And I, I did have a couple of updates for for us. Number one, I made a mistake here on this poll. Um, they should, Utah should be number one far and away by themselves. I, I miscalculated when I didn't include Corey's, Corey's first place vote. I had it tabulated as a first place vote, but didn't include it in the total here. So Utah should be number one with 12 total points. Uh, number two, Wisconsin, and then a tie for, uh, for fourth or for third place with Air Force and Boise State. And then uh, TCU at, at five. Um, no, this is really interesting to get your different perspectives on how, how, you know what what's considered overachieving and underachieving based on you know access to the the different advantages that certain programs have and, and these ones being able to be successful in spite of not necessarily having all of those in their corner any other final thoughts on the overachievers before we start talking about those that have done less with more yeah uh, one of the reasons i also included utah and byu in there is because i don't particularly think the talent in utah is is extremely high and or even in the surrounding states, particularly like, I mean, you might have Arizona that's got some good talent. You can go to California and maybe see when things I'm blasphemous here, but like you get a few four stars, but you don't get like a ton. You do have the 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 lines, the defensive lines and offensive lines. I'll give you that, but that's about you, it. You, don't you can pick up some I good. Was say, I I totally disagree with you. I was gonna say you can pick up some good quarterback go ahead, back Corner Canyon, uh, but uh. It, it, it's it, it is a little I don't know I, I wouldn't one hundred percent disagree but I think there's a certain type of talent that that the state produces and not much besides that talent um, so so specifically looking at skill position things like that these tend to be a lot more um you know we're we're gonna beat you on the physical side of the bat, <laughs> on the, of the ball rather than you know spreading you out wide and using our elite athleticism to beat you. Uh, I do want to give just a quick shout to Wisconsin. They're, you know, they're number two on our poll. We haven't talked about them almost at all. They're, they're one of the teams that I looked at who has had sustained success uh, as different coaches have passed through. Um, and I, I was surprised to find, like, I, I don't keep super close track of uh, recruiting, especially not outside, like, who are the top teams. Um, and so I never would have come across Wisconsin in the first place. But they generally are not somebody who recruits within the top 25. They had a... a 
an anomaly year where they made the tops. Uh, they were number 16 a few years back. Other than that, they're almost always in the in the 30s uh, as far as recruiting class rankings go. And so to me, that was surprising because it was like, this is the team that dominates for for the most part, uh, the Big Ten West. And that, that was the reason I had them. I had them and Iowa in my list. I have them over Iowa in my list because it's like when push comes to shove, yeah, yeah, they have like they are a, a bigger. I would say they're a bigger school, more tradition, um, and and more history of success. But they're the ones who get the job done over Iowa. But also they've had it through uh, Chris, through Bielema, and I expect it to continue on with Fickle. Um, I also expect the recruiting to take quite a big uptick with Fickle. But um, just want to you know give a quick highlight on them. They've done a really good job uh, with with the talent that they have and the brand of football that they have kept over the years and. Now it looks like they're kind of going in a different direction with their brand. And I'm really excited to see how that goes. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. I, I just one more comment on the the high school talent in Utah. Corey, go back and like look at like you know like the state rankings on any like major recruiting service, and it used to be like yeah, they, they used to be true, right? They used to only rank like the top five guys in the state of Utah. It was that that thin. Uh, look at it in the last 10 years, you're going to see a lot of not just talent, but high-end talent. So a, a couple of names I'll throw at you real quick. Obviously, Brian hit on the, the, the QB pipeline that is Corner Canyon. But, you know, Penny Sewell play, you know, was a, a top five pick. Noah Sewell, his younger brother, both from the state of Utah, of course. Um, some really major players. Um, I remember when there were two five-star linebackers that came out of the state. Now, one of them got in trouble with the law and, you know, that that's, that's a different story. We're not going to wander down that road, but the other one played at USC. His name is now escaping me. He's from Spanish fork. Gosh, it's going to bother me. Uh, but look, look at the last 10 years, the talent level in the state is, is continuing to rise and, and across multiple positions. There are certainly areas of weakness, you know, the skill talent, does leave something to be desired, but offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, quarterback, tight end, there, there, there's plenty of talent in the state to build a base and you'll, you'll need to supplement it, but it is something that's exciting to see that kind of grow uh, and improve being that we're, we're, we're here and surrounded by it. So, yeah, I don't anyway. disagree. Um, one last comment on Brian's thing. Uh, Luke Fickle's got, currently got uh, Wisconsin in the 2024 class ranked 19th right now, according to two, four, seven. So you are seeing a serious uptick from him. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and obviously that's all in flux until, until the class ends, but that, you know, I, you, you'd expect and, and I'm excited to see that that's what, that, what they have coming, uh, coming into, into the stadium for them on, on Saturdays. So it'll be a, a different ball game for sure. If they get that level of talent and they can continue to do so much with the talent that they bring in. Awesome. Coming from that positive note, let's shift gears and let's turn sour. All right. Our underachievers. Now you'll notice the font has changed. We're now in comic sans because that's what these people deserve. Uh, so that was not a, a, a decision made in ignorance. No, that was deliberate. So for all you font people out there, this, there's, there's reason there's a method to the madness. Here it is. This one was pretty, straightforward like there are less you can see there's less teams getting votes we're, we're kind of in a little bit more agreement here texas is the overwhelming favorite as far as underachievers doing less with more uh receiving two of three first place votes 14 total points so they were number one in two polls and number two in the in the other so uh, and then that's followed by a tie at second with texas a&m and miami uh, both receiving eight points, Texas A&M receiving one first place vote. Auburn received five votes. UCLA received four votes. Tennessee, uh, or, or UCLA was number five, receiving four total points, I should say, excuse me. Others receiving votes, Tennessee with three, USC with three points, and then finally Virginia Tech with one. Uh, let's go in reverse order on this one. Brian, let us know what you think. What's your response to the poll? Uh, I, I think it's great that Auburn's on here, considering Corey talked about them as an honorable mention for the last one. Uh, I think you made some really good points, Corey. Um, I didn't have Auburn on my list, but they were close on my like on my honorable mentions for underachievers. Um, Texas, I, I'm the Texas A&M first place vote. Um, 
I, I totally understand Texas was my number two. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, could have gone either way on that. Um, but my, my one, two, three, oh no, I think I have Miami. I might've had Miami as four. Um, but th those top three I all had in my list. Uh, I will speak for uh, Tennessee, who I think I'm the only one who had a vote in for them. Uh, and this is something I don't expect to continue to happen. Um, those who are, you know, our, our avid listeners, I'm a Hypo fan. I'm on the Hypo hype train. I think things are going in the right direction. Tennessee, under Phil Fulmer, um, in their successful years, he had 16 years there, had four seasons that he ended the season unranked, uh, had a national title, had another SEC championship, went to several other um, SEC, or I guess won several other divisions uh, in the SEC. Um, but in the 14 years since, Phil Fulmer, you know, they've, they've had Kiffin, they've had Butch Davis, they've had uh, Dooley, and um, now currently under Hypo, they've had three seasons in which they finished in the top 25. Don't forget uh, that, Jeremy Pruitt. Oh, Jeremy Pruitt. How could I? Um, but, but three out of 14 when it was 12 out of 16 under Fulmer is a pretty significant drop-off. They are the big team in the state. Um, they have very like avid fan base. You won't find a more annoying person than a Tennessee Vols fan. Um, I, I think they've got a lot going for them. And that's why I really think like now they've got the right coach and things seem to be headed in the right direction and I'm buying in. I think things are going to change. Uh, but I think they should have, you know, they, they've had talented coaches. They've had uh, talented players and good classes come in and hype around the program, especially uh, for that little bit when Kiffin was there. It was really exciting for, for you know, 10 seconds. Um, but uh, that, that was the reason I had them included on my list. And I don't think they, they pop up in any of yours. And, and perhaps that's because of where we see it going um, projected. But uh, overall, I think this is a really sharp list. I'm, I'm interested to hear, uh, Steve, your take on Auburn uh, with kind of the reverse side of the statement Corey, you know, the case Corey made for the under or overachievers previously. Yeah. And, and, and first of all, let me clarify, there's actually a typo here. So Auburn and UCLA should be tied um, at, with four total votes. Um, I, I will. So sorry about that. I, I belong in the underachievers poll here for, for having <laughs> multiple mistakes here, but I, I, yeah, let's, let's talk Auburn real quick. Um, for me, I mean, the amount of resources they have, the absolute cult-like alumni base that they have, and I, I use that in, in a nice, you know, in, a, in an admiration kind of way. I, people, I knew some Auburn families growing up, and they were just like, you know, that proverbial, you cut them open, they bleed. You know, they, these people bled, you know, orange and blue, and just were, were that kind of dedicated. So... They have, I think, the fan base, proximity to talent. I understand, like, going up against Alabama every year is is no small task, right? That's that's a Herculean task. But Bama was down for a very long time, and Auburn didn't really do much about it. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Like, they didn't start becoming something until Saban came in 2008, seven. Yeah, 2007. And even then, you know, it took him a couple years to get it going. Yeah. Uh, that first year they lost to ULM, John Parker Wilson at QB. <laughs> anyway, like, so that was my thought process was like, that's a team that is, is there. And I actually kind of had like a, a final list that I'll share that I didn't ask you guys to put together. I mentioned but like teams that are pretty volatile, you know, Auburn is, is to me one of those where like they can go from being a, an underachiever to the very next year challenging for a national champion championship. They're one of those teams that just kind of is, is all over the place. And there's a few others that we'll talk about maybe toward the end of, end of our call. That was my thought process for putting on Auburn. Now, what I'm interested in is that Miami sits at two, and I'm not sure that's fair to Miami um, because I think, yes, they have great proximity to talent, but, they don't really have much of an alumni base that cares about football. They don't really have much of a booster base. And, and it feels like every time they have a booster that rises up and, and steps up to the plate, 
sooner or later, some sort of white collar crime uh, awaits that person, a la Nevin Shapiro. Uh, I don't know if you guys have checked the uh, Life Wallet stock lately, but it's not performing well. Like so they've got some disadvantages to me that kind of offset some of their advantages. So I had them, but I think I only had them at four or five because they do have you know great tradition, a, a powerful brand proximity to talent but they do have a few other things you know a 70 yard indoor practice facility is not exactly a a, a big you know attractive uh, bell or whistle that they can put in front of recruits um so i that, i was just curious I, I think one or two of you maybe had them higher up and i'd love to hear your thoughts on why yeah so my my numbers were number one texas number two miami number three ucla number four us you sorry number four usc number five virginia texas Tech, and then I had Virginia and Texas A&M as honorable mentions. Um, my thought process behind those, um, I can go into Miami in a second, but uh, my thought process behind Texas is no no greater fan base, like with deeper pockets, no more rich talent. And, I mean, if you live in Texas, you want to go to Texas, minus Texas A&M. Granted, Texas A&M does have a, a lot larger of a, a – of a, it's a, it's the largest university in the country right now. It's 73,000 people in attendance. Um, so they should be they should be doing more. I th- the reason I don't have them on my list um, particularly is because, like, you mentioned like brand recognition and stuff like that. Like, I don't expect much from that brand and haven't expected much from that brand my entire life. And Fair. so that's partially why, like, yeah, they are achieving what I expect them to achieve. Now, with the resources that they have and the fans that they have, they probably should be ex- achieving more. Um, but that's partially why I didn't rank them high. But that's the exact reason why I ranked Miami high. Is because Miami does have the, the, they are in the most talent rich spot in the entire country. Like you could start a team of second stringers from Miami and you still win a good decent amount of games just straight up. Because that, I mean, I don't care what sport it is you're playing, soccer, football, blah blah blah. Like being from the state of Florida, I played volleyball. Even you play a team from Miami, you're screwed. Like you're not going to win that game because the talent and and just the amount of people that are down there um and also the amount of sheer just like speed and ability is insane so the fact that they can't keep enough people there to win with that talent and even when they do keep high level talent they haven't done anything with it they've played for they've won the division in the acc two times since they joined the acc one year they forfeited uh to play the championship game because of sanctions and then the other year that they lost it. So they literally have done nothing since 2003 when they left the Big East. That's that's a little ridiculous. Texas has won, had two nine games, nine win seasons in the last 13 years. Like we're we're looking at kind of whatever. Um, we already know my thoughts on Auburn, UCLA, and USC. You're in the second or third most talent rich state in the entire world, and in this in the second or third most talent rich area, and you haven't done anything like. USC's won one conference title since 2008. Granted, they won three titles in, two, in the early 2000s. So, like, when they can get it together, they have the ability. It's like a Miami. When you can keep the kids at home, you can do it. But they haven't done it. And then UCLA, they they won the Pac-12 back in 1997 and 1998. So, tell you the relevance. Um, and, and then my other teams were Virginia Virginia Tech. That's another talent-rich area. So, I was looking at, like, do you have talent there? Can you keep it close to home? Like, it, it'd be amazing to be successful if you can. Um, but these are teams that are letting the talent leave and that's not good. That's a combination for completely underachieving when it's right there and they, they can come to the games their entire life. I don't know. Yeah. I'll I'll jump in with, yeah, I'll I'll jump in with Miami. Uh, they consistently have top 15 recruiting classes and and sometimes it's much higher top 10, you know, broaching out top five because this hype will come around. It's a new coach, you know, Rick's back or, now Cristobal is here and things are going to be different. We're going to, you know, I think they got like a number eight class or something like that. Um, but so, so they're even keeping some of the talent, not all of it, um, not as much as they would like to, but even still, like you are in the coastal division, which is the weak division in the ACC. You don't have to, you, you do have to play Florida State every year because they're your cross division rival. You don't have to play Clemson every year. Um, and those are the teams that, you know, over the course of the last 15 years have dominated the ACC as a whole. And Still, you, for the most part, can't make it out of the Coastal. Like you said, two division titles since they joined. Um, no ACC titles since they joined. 
So to me, that's that's the indictment on Miami. I will substantiate the Texas A&M. I agree that don't have the brand that Texas does or the brand that some of the, most of the other schools on here do for, for me. You know, I don't have any history of watching them be ultra successful at any point. What they do have is consistently they bring in top classes, um, and they've been doing that since before Jimbo Fisher was there. They're doing it with Kevin Sumlin. Uh, but then they don't do anything with it. In, in the last, what is it, the last 10 years, two times they have had a winning record in the SEC. So the talent that you're playing and that you're intending to play every year, you're not even competing with them. You haven't had a winning record. You're going four and four. You're going three and five against the SEC. That's who you're competing against. That's who you're usually beating out in these recruiting classes and, you know, for these top prospects. But then you can't beat them on the field. So who cares? So that, that was a big reason for me is like you're, you're getting whoever you want. And it doesn't matter because, you know, the people who are on your schedule and they beat you half the time anyway, regardless. Um, so so me, that that was what pushed me to, to be the first place vote for Texas A&M. Um, I'm intrigued to see UCLA higher than USC. Uh, USC had the sanctions, I want to say 2010 to 2012, uh, post, um, Pete Carroll. And so there's that tricky part, but it's a really attractive job. You're the premier, uh, premier football team in the state. Like, and at times you're getting outperformed by Stanford. Uh, I, I can't really comprehend that as a, as a whole. Like, I think you've got to. And they're not getting outperformed, you know, in, in recruiting by Stanford. They're getting outperformed on the field. To me, it seems like you can get whoever you want to coach there. You have the, the huge backing um, that you need to bring in players. And you can't, I don't know. Like, uh, to me, it was the harshest one because they, if I'm looking at this list, I'd say they're probably the most successful team on this list. Um, they, they have had decent seasons, not incredible. Obviously, a good season last year. And if I'm projecting them, similar to Tennessee, I'm projecting them off this list in the near future. I don't think Lincoln Riley's going to really slip up anytime soon. But just just the team, perhaps that uh, outside of Texas, that has the most here. And you've won one Pac-12 title in, what, the past 10 years? It's been a long time. You should be dominating that conference. That, that There are other good teams. There's no reason you shouldn't be winning most of these. It should, it should be as similar to a Ohio State or Michigan where you go, okay, one of those two teams is going to win just about every year. USC should be one of those just about every year teams, and they just haven't been. Yeah, it's fair. The, the reason I put UCLA as my number five and not USC, those are, it was kind of between those two, right? Um, the reason I didn't is that UCLA has been so down for so long. Uh <laughs> That, that was kind of my thought process, like UCLA or USC, okay, two, arguably two national championships under Pete Carroll, uh, won, a, uh, won a Rose Bowl with, um, oh goodness, Clay Helton, um, and, and obviously had a great year this last year in, with the first year in Lincoln Riley. So they've had some success with different coaches over the last 20 or so years. Uh, also, maybe I, I did do a little bit of like peeking into the future and assuming Lincoln Riley is only going to continue his success. Uh, that was my thought process. Like UCLA hasn't truly been relevant to me outside of maybe a season in my lifetime, basically. Like, um, you know, I, I can think of like one or two years under Jim Mora that were like, okay, maybe that maybe this is the year. Uh, obviously had a pretty good year last year with Chip Kelly, but still didn't couldn't quite get over the hump. Uh, could, couldn't couldn't kind of stick the landing on on the season last year. Um, so those are my thought processes in putting UCLA there, where they have similar access to talent, uh, a, a you know a well recognized brand. It's not to the same degree as as USC. No one's arguing that, but to me, it's just that the amount of disappointing seasons under UCLA has been, you know, we're talking about decades now as opposed to like a, a single decade for Southern Cal. So Steven's saying they've done less with a little bit less than USC, but much less. Exactly. <laughs> and I agree with you, Steve. I, my, <laughs> that was exactly my thought. Like I had UCLA and USC ranked right next to each other and UCLA I had ranked as worse because I mean, we're talking 97, 98 when they were been anything relevant. I mean, they've won. I think they had two ten-win seasons since then. But come on. See that—that's probably the issue for me. Is I'm—I'm uh, I'm born in '95, so I have no recollection of them ever being good. So I'm like, why are they even like? For me, it was almost like I was looking at like where are talent-rich areas, whatever, and I just kind of discounted them. Like, well, they've never been good, so of course there's no <laughs> expectation for them to be good. <laughs> 
our dad will be happy to see them higher on this list than USC. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> All right. Um, any other like fi- final thoughts on the underachievers poll? Um, I want to say like, which teams do you think are coming off this list this year? Or and and like and your thought process on that? Because I've got some thoughts on this a little bit. Yeah, I think as I was filling this out, sorry, Brad, I'll, I'll go first. I think as I was filling this out, I was like, man, a lot of these are, you know, are subject to change, right? Like, honestly, all, all, the top three of them, Texas, Texas A&M, and Miami, could all potentially move off this list in the same season. Not move off this list, but at least, uh, you know, you know, they, they could kind of change the trajectory of what they look like for the next three to four years, right? Uh, with, with a bounce back year because uh, Texas, I think, is already on its way, you know, eight and four after going five and seven. They're moving in the right direction. Uh, that one to me, I think, is uh, people are expecting sort of a coronation year for Texas. Anything short of that would be a disappointment and would probably further cement them as number one on the underachievers list. But uh, for me, it's it's Texas. And the interesting thing is Texas A&M and Miami play one another this year so one of them will get a, a little bit of a leg up on the other in terms of being able to kind of get out of that i think miami is, is making moves in the right direction this time it feels different with cristobal than it has with with al golden or with uh with mark richt or or heck even with um goodness randy shannon who who started off really positive it just it feels like it's different so I, I am anticipating Miami to have a pretty big bounce back year uh, and, and kind of their, their program to really alter its course uh, pretty dramatically in the next couple of seasons. Uh, yeah. Like Texas, I, I believe that they're headed in the right direction. I'm not sold on Sarkeesian. I feel like he's going to lose you games that you shouldn't lose, but the talent wise, they're going to get there. And that's why Miami, I think is going to get there. Like first of all, is going to have the talent there that it's going to be scary if he can just coach. Um, and that, that, that's what I'm terrified. If he can about, uh, like Brian, I think Tennessee and USC are off the, this list as well. Um, I didn't have Auburn on the list, so whatever. But I, I think AM, I'm sorry. Until you get rid of Jimbo, you're probably stunk. Stunk there. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's that's the one that I like. Unless Petrino is lightning in a bottle, which they they hope that they've kind of captured. Are they going to let him actually call the plays? Remains to be seen. I'm excited to watch it though. Whether it's a dumpster fire or super successful, it, it, one thing it won't be, it won't be boring. <laughs> uh, the last thing I had kind of to, to wrap today is like teams that I kind of was like, oh, I could put them on the underachievers, but like, ah, but they also win national championships, sprinkle them in here and there. These are the really volatile teams. And, and so these are the ones that for me, I kind of define it as they can go from one year winning a national championship to the next year, a losing record and firing a coach. So number one to me is LSU. I feel like they're all over the map when it comes to what they do. Uh, really, like, I could even put them on the underachievers poll because they're not consistently dominating like they ought to, given that they're you know, the only game in town when it comes to talent in Louisiana. They're, they're you know, anyone they want from that state to stay home is going to stay home. Uh, and they go from, you know, challenging Bama in, in what, 2011, you know, winning the regular season game but losing the rematch to then 10 years of kind of mediocrity and, and, and kind of wandering in the wilderness, if you will, to, I guess not quite 10 years, but then then to, you know, 2019, Joe Burrow setting all these awesome records and and then just, just what, a year and a half later, Ed Orgeron is fired. Uh, every single one of their last three head coaches has won a national championship. I'm, I'm excluding Brian Kelly, who obviously is only in his second year, but even he looks like he's it's trending up for him. Maybe he's able to sustain that. I feel like that is one of the most hot and cold programs that exists. Auburn also is on that list to me. Like the number of times where it went from Gus Malzahn's getting fired to no, he's getting an extension and a raise, like <laughs> was just kind of comical. Uh, and, and it's true, like, you know, his second season, he turns it around, you know, they win a title, you know, in 2010 with Cam Newton, obviously Malzahn was the offensive coordinator there. They win the title. Then things go downhill with the rest of Gene Chizik. They bring back in Malzahn and he turns it around really quickly. And in, in, in year two, he's in the title game with Florida state. Doesn't quite get the job done. Uh, and then has, you know, kind of this just up and down, like, really disappointing years to like 
years where they just overachieve and everyone's happy. He beats both Georgia and Alabama in, in the year that they go to the title. Um, oh, am I? I'm not yeah, even, no, that's I mean, right. That is correct. Okay. Yeah, and right. Mississippi Sorry, State, I... too, in the fourth quarter with 14 seconds left. Like, that team was a team of destiny, and they shouldn't – like, we probably shouldn't even give them credit that they made the title game in reality. They just kept winning random games by flukes. Yeah. Um, but that that one to me is one where it's just so hot and cold, and that's where I found USC, too, is like, all right – they're a team. They're they're a program that can go four and eight one year, and then the very next year, literally just happen, uh, go and and win a bunch of games, and, and you know challenge for a conference title, challenge for even more than that. Um, so those are the three or four that I kind of thought like, man, these are all over the place. If the you're one, including those teams, Steve, you got to include Florida State and Florida too, because they go through them winning championships, going to championships, to like not making bowl games, going four and eight, et cetera. Yeah. I'd say I, I just think that it's less volatile. Like it, 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 you're right. It trends down and trends up, but it kind of moves more, more, more gradually. I feel like those ones, it's like overnight, they could be a success or a complete failure. Um, the other other team that I wanted to maybe touch on as potential underachievers, do any of y'all consider Penn State? No. Um. Yes, I did. Um. <sighs> Like they've what won one time they won the this, their division like once in the last like seven or eight years I can't remember if that's yeah twenty sixteen they won the the they won the, they won the Big Ten I think they won yeah, the yeah. entire conference so yeah. but I mean even their division they don't win very often um, and so like that's true they recruit really really well a lot better honestly in my opinion than they should at it, it, like with the proximity of the players that are around them. And that's partially why I didn't put them in there. It's like the talent is not around Penn state. Like there's not a ton of talent up in the Northeast. And the fact that they are able to recruit as well as they do, like that is the offsetter to me. And I'm like, why I wouldn't expect them to be there. It's partially like why I wouldn't include Oregon in, in this list as well. Sure. Yeah. I just think they're, they're fairly consistently where I expect them to be. Um, and that's not according to their talent. It's just according to the relative talent of, uh, of Michigan and Ohio State. It's if they can just get over that hump, though. I mean, it'll it'll make that Big Ten so or sorry, yeah, big yeah, Big Ten so interesting. Like to have three powerhouses on that side or three powerhouses there, it'd be awesome to watch. Yeah, it'll be fun to see what happens when they go divisionless and see like yeah. okay, when they don't have to play both of them every single year, can they get to that? Okay, instead of we're playing third fiddle, can we? here and there play second fiddle and maybe once or once or twice grab a championship. I was just curious. Like that was one that I kind of considered too, but didn't have, uh, didn't have them in my votes just to, just for some of the same reasons that you guys have already described. Um, I'll, I'll tell you the, the underachiever that I'm rooting for the most. We've talked about a few that we think we'll, we'll jump about, but the one that I really want to, and I, I'm not sure if it's really going to is Virginia tech. There are not many environments that give me chills through the television screen. Lane Stadium is awesome. Th that oh, place yeah. gets rowdy. Those fans are avid. Um, I I just think that it's such a an awesome thing when they're good. But even when they're bad, that stadium still is pretty intimidating, pretty rocking all the time. Uh, and you have that inner Sandman to start start the game every um, every Saturday or Friday, whatever day of the week. They they I feel like they end up playing a lot of like Thursday Friday games, and I catch those ones uh, independent, but. That's one that, you know, under the Vic days and, and Frank Beamer doing Beamer ball, awesome defense and great special teams. Uh, I miss that, you know, and I, I would love to see for the sake of that environment and how, um, yeah, just, just wild that stadium and, and the the fan base is. I know there's not as much resource as some other fan base, but I, I'd really love to see them make a return to prominence. Um, we'll see under Brent Pry if things can, can switch around a bit, but... That that's one that I'm rooting for. Like you know, USC ten or Tennessee, I I see them uh, making their way out. Texas, Texas A&M, Miami, I see the route for it. But the one that I'm hopeful for, and, and you know, just kind of think would be good for college football, um, is Virginia Tech for sure. Let's say Brent Fry doesn't quite pan out. Do you think that they could pry Shane Beamer from from USC? Or UCLA, or for, for, sorry, from South Carolina, yeah, USC. 
depends on how he does at South Carolina. <laughs> so that's the hard thing. Is if, if he's doing well at South Carolina, there's no reason he should leave. But if he's not doing well, there's no reason they should take him. <laughs> I don't think they'll be able to afford him. Okay, that's I think what that's, I was wondering. The, that's that's the biggest problem to me. Is like I think it's the the landscape has shifted where it's like why would you go from an SEC job to an ACC job willingly? But would um, would his heart be there? Because I mean, Dad Frank Beamer played ball there. He was like assistant head coach for a little while. Like, I potentially and he's he's the home run hire. But again, we've seen home run hires not work out. Tom Herman didn't work out at Texas. I can't believe uh, it. I still Scott can't Frost that. didn't work out at Nebraska. Like, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was so, it for sure. I thought that was the most sure hire that was of a all slam time. Dunk like what? Steve or Scott? Uh, I don't know if he's anywhere. Is he an offensive analyst at Alabama? It's always a safe guess. Yeah, he might be at Bama. I'm looking it up right now. Look it up. See if he's anywhere. I'm not sure. The other one that I'm interested to see where he resurfaces, and he hasn't yet, or at least not to my knowledge, Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin, who thought he was getting that Wisconsin job. Yeah. Man. Yeah, he hasn't yet. I searched him earlier today. (laughs) Yeah, I, 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 that's what I'm following very closely. But again, we could talk about coaching searches when we get kind of more to that time where there's there's jobs that are open. But that is one that man, he's he's very high on my list of people to call. I don't, um, I don't know. Is he? I think there are talks that he went to, was going to go to Alabama, but I don't think he ever went. Okay, I'm looking, I'm looking it up right now. I, maybe I just read that rumor, or maybe it was no, just a joke. I definitely that, heard you know, like, He's going to be there. <laughs> well. Any other parting shots before we wrap? Dude, I'm just excited for the season. It cannot get here fast enough. <laughs> we are was... 66 days away from Notre Dame and Navy lacing it up in Ireland. I was literally looking at my little boy. I'm like, dude, I, I'm showing you clips of football. Like, he's six months old, and I'm like, here, watch this while we, while we eat our, our, our <laughs> bottle. I'm like – you will see this pretty soon. I can't wait to have another game game with you or, or your first game, whatever. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. We'll sign off. This is another episode of CFB Paint. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to follow us on our socials. Like it. Subscribe. We appreciate all the support. We'll see you next time. Peace.